America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day with the uh, violence clearing up from the streets of Philadelphia. <laughs> it's a bizarre thing in, in Philadelphia, in Center City. Uh, what goes on with uh, people exploding firecrackers and battling with police and tearing down infrastructure and causing damage because, well, you may have noticed uh, the Philadelphia Eagles did not win the Super Bowl. You can't say they lost it, penalties lost it, bad calls lost it. Uh, Jill Biden, I don't know if she was part of the rioters. She is a Philly girl, and she had her feeling. AOC has not exactly rioted, but she has attacked those two Jesus ads that uh, appeared during the Super Bowl, ads that seemed to me to be artful, moving, uh, sensitive, and very positive. She thinks they're fascistic. Why? We will get to that. And there's also a fascinating column we're going to speak to the author about why America needs football, even its brutality. Does that brutality have something to do with... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the uh, disappointed riots in uh, Philadelphia. Um, we will speak to Ethan Strauss about that. We will also be speaking about what the heck is going on with four unidentified objects now. I mean, I guess people would be disappointed if there are not more today because we had shootdowns. Shootdowns. Do you know how much a shootdown costs? I mean, people are talking about government waste. Uh, I guess it's important to shoot these things down, whatever they are. They aren't identifying them. The new ones apparently are very small. And uh, and then lots of theories about what exactly is going on. And a, a top general in our defense system says, no, he wouldn't rule out aliens. Uh, and aliens, I don't mean people coming from Guatemala or El Salvador. No, no, they, they were talking about aliens from... Out there. Really? And speaking of aliens from out there, uh, there are a bunch of Republicans who are taking advantage of the fact that today we're celebrating Lincoln's birthday. Lincoln's actual birthday, of course, was yesterday. But um, with Lincoln's birthday coming along, it's traditional all over the country for Republicans to hold Lincoln Day dinners. I've spoken at Oh, maybe a dozen Lincoln Day dinners over the years for the Republican Party. And uh, it's a great old tradition. Uh, but this year, at this point, there are a bunch of candidates, some of whom actually, I think, have a chance to win some delegates and to challenge the two front runners, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, uh, for the Republican nomination. But are they using the right basis to challenge uh, people? We will talk about the uh, new campaign for Tim Scott, for Nikki Haley, and uh, for Mike Pence. Uh, What issues are they picking out, and uh, why are they going so early? Well, they're going so early because Trump's already been in this race. Trump's actually been in this race since before Biden was inaugurated. I mean, uh, after it was clear that he had lost the election, and yes, it was clear that he lost the election at some point. Uh, President Trump 
was determined to run again. I did one of the very first columns, and I'm proud of this, uh, in uh, USA Today about how if Trump lost the election, and this is before November, that he would run again. He wouldn't accept the results of the election. He would try to come back like Grover Cleveland. He's right in the midst of that effort right now. Somebody else who is trying to come back maybe with a little bit less hope and a little bit less energy than Donald Trump is George Santos with new charges of puppy abuse. I mean, it, it, it keeps um, getting more and more dire for Congressman Santos. Uh, first of all, this uh, in terms of some of the new candidates. And, and by the way, if you believe that there is a winning issue that they should concentrate on and that they should address, you can give us a call. 1-800-955-1776. We are being told that uh, the Mike Pence group that is launching a grassroots Iowa effort is uh, going to be focusing on school transgender policies. A winning issue, um, something that can mobilize America and give us new hope for the future. I Do I think some of the transgender policies that they have in schools, that they have... Uh, basically, uh, particularly concealing a, tr a gender transition or a gender affirmation, uh, people on the left would call it, concealing that from parents, I think that's outrageous. And I think there are a number of things about the way we treat transgender issues that are outrageous. But really, when people are picking a president of the United States, is this going to be one of the things that's going to mobilize a campaign, excite a campaign. Uh, meanwhile, this from the Wall Street Journal, uh, they, uh, they write out that uh, while his voting record regularly ranks among the most conservative in the Senate, Senator Tim Scott has sought to position himself as a key GOP voice on some of the toughest issues facing America, whether it is police violence, or creating more economic opportunities for minorities. Still, he is a relatively unknown quantity with average voters, and in addition to competing with Mr. Trump, will be challenged by several other candidates also seeking to take over the next generation of leadership. Uh, Mr. Scott has selected former Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado. Remember him? He was a great senator, uh, right down the middle, center of the Republican Party, and... He is now the co-chair, together with Rob Collins, a former head of the Republican Senate Committee. Uh, they are the chairs of the new super PAC that uh, is going to be pushing the Tim Scott campaign. So he is uh, scheduled to speak this Thursday in his home state, which uh, is going to be leading off with... Uh, at one of the first primaries, it will have the first Democratic primary, and I think it's the third Republican primary again. But in any event, he's going to be speaking at a county GOP dinner celebrating Black History Month. That's one day after a fellow South Carolinian, uh, former Governor Nikki Haley, former U.N. ambassador. That's one day after she announces her own bid. And later this month... Uh, Tim Scott's going to be coming to Iowa 
Iowa is the first state in the Republican nominating process with the uh, Iowa caucuses, which Republicans should be able to uh, to run and supervise and execute more satisfactorily than the Democrats did last time. That's part of the reason that Iowa lost its first-in-the-nation status to South Carolina. Uh, people familiar said he will be traveling extensively in the coming months, part of what he calls his listening tour. And uh, again, appropriate that he begins that tour in Iowa. Do I believe that uh, Tim Scott has a real choice? Uh, I do. I mean, I think he has a real chance of actually competing in this election, Uh, partially because there's a sense that uh, if it is true that Americans really do want to see more cooperation, want to see the nation come together, want to see a reduction in polarization, he is one of those people who has the gift, I think, of speaking and uh, without even while taking very strong positions and, as the Wall Street Journal says, compiling one of the most conservative voting records in the Senate, uh, Tim Scott is somebody who doesn't repel people. Wouldn't you think that would be a political advantage? So what about Mike Pence? What about Nikki Haley? And what about Donald J. Trump and Ron DeSantis? We will get to all of that and more coming up on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1770. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's Medved show uh, with the uh, continuation of the infestation of our skies by various unidentified objects. And now they just are referring to them as objects. They're no longer clearly balloons, though they think most of them may be balloons. But uh, the it, it's, it's very confusing. I, I wish they would give the different balloons, the different objects that are being shot down, they would give them uh, names, uh, code names, some way we can identify them, because with four of them now, right in a row, and with uh, shoot-downs on Friday, Saturday, what is it, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, Uh, well, not Monday yet, Uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for sure. Uh, this is this is a very, very strange thing, and that means that people ask strange questions. Uh, General Glenn Van Herc is one of the people in charge of our defense, our NORAD defense, against uh, any unknown intruders uh, that may come from China or may come from the great beyond. He uh, he actually gave a surprising response when he was asked about whether he was ruling out the idea that these were 
some kind of alien spacecraft from another form of life, uh, probably in another galaxy. Here's what uh, General Van Herc had to say, clip six. Have you ruled out aliens or extraterrestrials? And if so, why? Because that is what everyone is asking us right now. And thanks for the question, Helene. I'll let the intel community and the uh, counterintelligence community figure that out. I haven't ruled out anything uh, at this point. We continue to assess uh, every threat, uh, potential threat, unknown, that approaches North America uh, with an attempt to identify it. Okay. Uh, again, what's fascinating to me is that, and it wasn't just an American decision. Apparently, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, uh, participated in the decision to shoot down the uh, the last uh, unidentified object, which was brought down over Lake Huron in, in the Great Lakes and drifting through Canadian territory as well. Uh, with all of this going on, uh, it, it, it seems astonishing that it would break all of a sudden. In other words, people are asking one of the questions, and I don't have any answer to it, and I won't pretend that I do. But why would it be that all of a sudden you'd have this consistent parade of objects to shoot down? They may all be from China, but people are saying, watch out, maybe they're not. Uh, the uh, National Security Council spokesman, John Kirby, that is a White House spokesman for National Security Ad Affairs, uh, did a press conference and uh, here's what he said about the background of the Chinese balloon program, uh, clip 13. We were able to determine that China has a high-altitude balloon program for intelligence collection that's connected to the People's Liberation Army. It was operating during the previous administration, but they did not detect it. We detected it. We tracked it. And we have been carefully studying it to learn as much as we can. We know that these PRC surveillance balloons have crossed over dozens of countries on multiple continents around the world, including some of our closest allies and partners. We assessed that at this time, these balloons have provided limited additive capabilities to the PRC's other intelligence platforms used over the United States. But in the future, if the PRC continues to advance this technology, it certainly could become more valuable to them. Okay, uh, the the idea that uh, uh, they are have determined that there were previous intrusions, and how would it be that the previous intrusions that they would be able to find out long after the fact that these intrusions occurred, but as the intrusions were happening in the prior administration, meaning under President Trump that nobody seemed to notice. And this, by the way, it's not just uh, President Trump. It's his former national security advisors, including people who aren't particularly big fans of President Trump. People like General McMaster, who was his national security advisor, like uh, John Bolton, frequent guest on this show, who has said, no, we didn't really hear anything about this kind of mystery craft and what it was doing. Uh, on MSNBC, uh, Kirby categorically denied the Beijing claim 
that the United States has flown its own spy balloons over China. Uh, listen. Want to get your reaction to some breaking news out of Beijing just in the last hour or two. The foreign ministry there has accused the United States since the start of 2022 of flying balloons uh, 10 different times over Chinese airspace. Can you uh, respond to that accusation? Not true. Not doing it. Just absolutely not true. So the U.S., let me just push you a little further then. So the U.S. is not using these balloons technologies at all over China? That is right. We are not flying balloons uh, over China. That is absolutely true. Okay, and part of the reason one assumes that he says that with such certainty is that the balloon technology, uh, I, I mean, is ancient. It, uh, <laughs> there, were, there were French forces in the uh, 18th century, in the 1700s, that used balloons to uh, spy on where troops were coming uh, during, uh, during various battles and, and wars, in European wars, in the Civil War. Where there was a, a Union balloonist who went up to spy on the Confederate forces. It, it didn't work out particularly well in any of those cases. It's unclear how well it's worked out for the Chinese. Uh, this is a Karine Jean-Pierre appearing on MSNBC trying to answer a question about the administration's response to the unidentified flying objects, clip five. Why is, why is the American military shooting something out of the sky over Canada? Because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD is part of like a, it, part of a, it, it's a, it's a, what you call a coalition, a coalition, a, a pact, okay. exactly. And so that's why we were able to do that. Again, it, we didn't do it on our own. We did right. it in, in, uh, in, uh, it clearly in, 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 in step with uh, right. Canada. Canada, uh, 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 that's, uh, that's, that, that wonderful nation north of us, uh, Canada, um, the the confusion involving all of this and what it is the Chinese may be after and whether it was actually a deliberate plan to send a wave of these balloons. And they haven't even confirmed that the other objects, some of which are much smaller than what they originally shot down and looked at the debris, about the size of a small car. Meanwhile, America needs violence, and that's why America needs... and I think insightful column that uh, uh, just appeared by Ethan Strauss, who is a, uh, a veteran sports reporter. He's pro reported primarily on the NBA, National Basketball Association. But he has a piece about football that I think will move and register and connect with many people. The, uh, the way it's headlined is Why America Needs Football even its brutality, and then subhead, we can pine for a new kind of human being who doesn't crave violence, or we can be happy we have the NFL. Uh, 
Ethan, it's a pleasure meeting you on the phone, and thank you for your contribution. Uh, in in what sense do you think that uh, that football actually does represent and satisfy a primal need that many men, maybe most men, have? Yeah, um, I think that part of it is its inherent risk, the danger out there, uh, facilitates a kind of bonding that you're not going to get otherwise. I covered the NBA. It's a very individualistic sport for some reasons that are a little bit complicated, some that are pretty simple. One is that if I am scoring more points, typically you are scoring fewer points. So in a team dynamic, success is not going to be distributed, uh, how should I put it? it? It's a bit zero-sum, right? And so that creates a dynamic where people aren't so bonded. They need to overcome that element of themselves in order to achieve greatly and, and win a championship. In football, it's just integral to the sport that these guys are in a foxhole together. The difference between basketball and football, the biggest difference, and I thought about it again in the NFC championship game because like my neighbors, I'm watching the Niners. I live in the Bay Area. Uh, the backup tight end misses a block. He just doesn't put up enough resistance. And the linebacker for the Eagles injures the 49ers quarterback, knocks him out of the game, ends the 49ers season. That's a difference right there between football and basketball. In basketball, you don't do your job one play. You know, maybe you give up a basket, right? Football, you can get your teammate hurt beyond whatever happens to your season and to the team. And that's real. That's legitimate. It confers a legitimacy. And so not only does it create an intense bond for those guys out there on the field, but I think that's what's resonant when people watch. It's the stakes of it. It's not just about, I don't know, being a beastial in your nature or being a Neanderthal. There's something, as uh, George Kittle would say, the Niners tight end he would call it sacred what happens between those lines is sacred and sacred because of the risk yes yes it's not indivisible from it can't be excised the corporate chieftains of the nfl i think are trying to do it they're trying to make flag football a thing that they're marketing and testing out in the pro bowl and they try to you know make the game safer maybe in some ways that's smart but uh you cannot you cannot really excise the danger from the draw of the sport. And there are other elements people are into, such as the strategy and everything else. But yeah, I think it, it definitely rhymes with something we're missing. Uh, we have a void. And I think that's, that's something we really grapple with right now. It, it's very hard for us in the modern day in our cities to just admit that we're missing things. It, it seems like whenever somebody notices that, they're accused of liking everything bad from the past. And it's no, 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 no. It's not endorsing everything bad that happened in the past. It's just to notice that even if we have it better in many ways right now, there are some things that we're missing, some voids that we have right now. And it's better that we just admit to them and see how to fill them. You, you followed the stories and you allude to them in your column, which is linked at our website at michaelmedved.com. And I urge people to take a look at it because it's extraordinarily provocative. But you do take note of the brain injury, uh, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy, that uh, CTE, which is so very common. The, the figures that you use suggest that it's um, uh, that a study from Boston University shows that 92 percent 
of players uh, from the NFL suffer from CTE. But I, I would just jump in. I, I, I hate to interrupt, but I think it's a good it's a point worth making. There is selection bias there. It's of the brains they studied, right? So it's probably lower, but it, it happens. I think that's what we should say. And, and it's not it, it's not so abnormal. Sorry, you were saying. No, again, what part of what um, what you suggest here is that despite that and despite the lifelong pain that people get from other kinds of injuries and knees and elbows and uh, legs, uh, that very, very few football players say, I wish I hadn't done this. Yeah, it's a paradox, isn't it? And you would see Malcolm Gladwell, writers of other New York publications, saying that we can't have this anymore. These guys are maimed for life. It maims people. That was the word that the writer Malcolm Gladwell used. Well, I don't know his assessment of this particular paradox where there's a survey of the retired players and over 90% of them say that they experience daily aches and pains from their playing days, but over 90% of them say they don't regret playing at all. Uh, that right there, that's an intriguing paradox. No, that's that's interesting. And what it should make you do is really drill down on what's happening and think about what could be so powerful that it would make a man say, I hurt every day because I did this, and yet it was worth it. I don't regret it at all. It should indicate that whatever he experienced in exchange was something perhaps he considers sacred, something that is irreplaceable. And rather than trying to dismiss it and denigrate it and condescend to the men who make this choice, I think if you're, if you're a curious person, it should make you consider – okay, what is it about that choice? What's really going on here? Something, Something's happening here that's bigger than all the superficiality we saw in the Super Bowl, the beer commercials, and Rihanna and everything else. There's something that this is, this is an instinct that is being watered in a person uh, that is big enough to make them sacrifice pain every day. That's interesting. And by the way, people always talked about baseball as the quintessential American sport. Uh, American football is spreading around the world right now, is it not? I mean, and again, so whatever it is that is so powerful that draws Americans to make this our by far most popular sport appears to be something that uh, the the rest of the world and, and not just Britain and Canada – but the rest of the world is also embracing. Yeah, there's definitely a learning curve with it. I remember I was in Israel once, an Israeli soldier asked me to describe American football. And I started to do it, and I realized that I was, I was failing. It's difficult. It's really difficult. You know, there's the, the language acquisition phase, that idea that you are really good at absorbing language until you hit around age five or six and it gets hard. I think it's a little bit like that with a sport as complicated as football, where we just grow up with it in America. It's part of the air that we breathe. And when you go outside the boundaries of this country and you're trying to explain to somebody what a down is or why it starts with a kickoff and then transitions to the throwing portion of the evening, uh, it, it is very complicated. So I think it might be a barrier to it becoming as popular as the NFL would want to be. And frankly, as somebody who likes football, and is an American, I don't want it to be. I don't want what happened to football. 
I, I don't want what happened to basketball to happen to football. I think that's something that has not been covered enough, how the NBA lost purchase domestically in the United States once the people running it decided they could make their money in China, and that was the future, and it was time to ignore this country. I want football to stay American, frankly. Yeah, and the prospect of Chinese football, somehow it seems kind of not wholesome right now. Uh, Ethan Strauss, his column on football is uh, posted on our website, michaelmedved.com. Uh, we will be right back. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. This is The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, now that the big game is over and the riots have calmed down in Philadelphia, and uh, again, the frustration uh, from these riots and, and also from uh, last year when, remember, the Phillies made it to the World Series and, well, it didn't work for them. And there were some riots in Philadelphia then as well. I um I was in Philadelphia in 2008, and aside from the fact that it's my hometown, I was born there and lived there with my parents till I was six, and uh, used to come back for a summer camp, which was kind of a crazy thing because summers are much more pleasant in, in California, where my parents lived, than in Philly, where uh, my grandmother lived. But uh, well, that's the way we did it. In any event, uh, in 2008, uh, I was on the McCain. We were we were doing um, radio talkers supports for McCain Palin, and traveling around the country. And as it turned out, we came to Philadelphia the same night that they won the World Series. And this was only the second time in history that this very old franchise had actually won a World Championship. And there are terrible riots center city. I mean, really destructive. They just put in a bunch of planters that were all basically smashed or blown up or knocked down. Uh, they had put up some uh, more decorative lighting for center city. And uh, in, in any event, it was a, a serious riot. And that was when they won. Uh, this, this year, they didn't win. And in terms of um, uh, people who are going to win uh, or who are looking at the future of American politics, uh, one of the questions in American politics is the what I call the Kamala quandary. And what the heck is McCain, is not McCain, is, is Biden supposed to do about Kamala Harris? Because the idea that this election is going to be close, all of the polling shows that whether it's Trump or somebody else uh, against Joe Biden, who appears absolutely determined to run for the presidency, and he, he does not have any serious candidate ready to stand against him, uh, that uh, basically in a close election – Kamala Harris could be a real problem and partially no 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 partially because uh Joe Biden is going to be the oldest candidate in history when he's running for re-election 
uh, oldest nominee, and and by far, by far, I was I was going through doing some <laughs> enumerations last night. We've had uh, a, a, a total of uh, eight presidents who have uh, died in office, and four of them by assassination, uh, four of them just by sickness and old age, and we've had, believe it or not, seven vice presidents who have died in office. So that's 11 people. How many of those were over 80? Um, Joe Biden is 80 right now. The answer is none. The people, the idea that uh, the people who died in office, the presidents and vice presidents, all of them except one, uh, who was Elbridge Gary, who all of them except one died before they were 70. And Biden is going for a term where he would be 86 at the end of his term. So it's a very, very real issue. People are going to start looking at Kamala Harris. And uh, what's hilarious to me is that with most Democrats recognizing that she is a, a, a real drag on the Joe Biden ticket because people who are worried about his health or well-being look at her and look at her one most uh, notable achievement – and assignment as vice president involved that she was put in charge of border security, right? Remember that? And she took trips down to the border. How's she been doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, on ABC, Donna Brazil was um, actually sparring with Chris Christie over Kamala Harris and uh, suggesting what is a, a, an utterly unthinkable idea, whether or not uh, she could take the baton from Joe Biden in 2024. And frankly, out of his dead clammy, as, as long as he's alive and well, he will be the nominee. But this is what they say. She has the highest position in the party, but when you look at the way the public views her, there are a number of other very qualified African-American women who the vice, who the president could pick. And all I'm saying is there's going to be that conversation. It's unlikely to happen, George, but because he's going to be 82 years old, that is going to be a much bigger focus than it's ever been. First of all, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up Kamala Harris because she is probably one of the most undefined human beings. She is incredible. She's standing in her own power. She has been at every step helpful to this president and getting his agenda through the United States Congress. And so while her poll numbers may not reflect her true popularity, I can guarantee you Kamala Harris will not be replaced on the party's ticket. And I can also guarantee you if Joe Biden decides not to run, Kamala Harris will become the next nominee of the Democratic Party. And I, I, I don't understand why every... Every time, you know, something goes down, people say, Kamala, Kamala, she is standing in her power. She's been incredible. She's been indispensable. And she's going to continue she's to serve as vice president. <laughs> she's been indispensable. I mean, seriously, think about uh, indispensable means that if she uh, could not possibly continue without her. Uh, what has she done that is so indispensable? 
And uh, I, I don't think even though she was standing in her power, standing doesn't, doesn't sound very active, does it? Or like you're accomplishing anything. Uh, the um, mayor of Miami, who's a GOP mayor, his name is Francis Suarez, was on Fox News. And he talked about one of the upcoming factors that could give the GOP a huge advantage in holding uh, control of the House of Representatives, winning control of the Senate, and winning the White House. Uh, listen, clip 14. Mayor, is the Democratic Party in trouble with Hispanics and Latinos? Oh, yes, they are. And they are because they've been trying to impose their progressive cultural agenda on everybody in the United States. And certainly uh, it's been rejected uh, by most people in the United States. And Hispanics are no different. Um, you know, they, they, they're they so elitist that they even try to change the name of, of Latinos to Latinx. Right. I mean, that's how that's how elitist they are, that they think that they uh, that the Spanish language is flawed or something. Uh, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, you add to that the fact that most uh, Hispanics agree uh, that a conservative agenda like the one we have in Miami uh, is what's best. Uh, to create prosperity for the most number of people. You want to keep taxes low. We want to fund our police and support our public safety. And we want to embrace innovation to make sure uh, that everyone uh, has a, a, you know, a prosperous job. We're number one in the nation in wage growth. Uh, and, and, and we've done that uh, by, you know, by inviting the private sector to come and to innovate in our city, not rejecting them like they did, uh, you know, in New York with Amazon and HQ2. And of course, in California, when they rejected Elon Musk. Okay, uh, obviously, if you look at the Hispanic vote in the last election for governor in Florida, um, DeSantis won the Hispanic vote, I mean, overwhelmingly. And uh, no, it's not just Cubans anymore. There are lots of Nicaraguans and Mexicans, Brazilians, many, many other kinds of Latinos in Florida. And uh, Ron DeSantis did well with all of them. Uh, Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake, uh, who was speaking to Iowa Republicans, is she thinking about a presidential race? Well, she wants to be vice president, I think. Uh, she declares, well, if elections were really fair, there'd be a different outcome. Listen, clip We've five. got a lot of great candidates in uh, for the Republican Party, unlike the Democrat Party. They roll people out like Katie Hobbs and Joe Biden, and they expect us to believe that that's that's what people want and we know people don't want that meanwhile we've got great candidates on the Republican Party and on our on our side we've got so many great candidates that if our elections were really fair I believe the ranks of Congress the Senate I think a White House I think all the state governorships would be Republican if elections were fair there would be a Republican governor of New York and California and Massachusetts if the elections were just fair. There have been, by the way. We just had a Republican governor, Massachusetts, Charlie Baker. Uh, but it's a provocative thought, among many others, that we will encounter in this greatest nation on God's green earth.